All right. It's on? It's working? Awesome. Ah, what a day to uh, bring the Word of God. I mean, it was such a joy to, like, obviously sing with you guys, see you guys all calm, different colors and flavors, a bit of a mixed bag of Skittles today, which is awesome to see. But, yeah, also a privilege, you know, to come and serve you guys and, and preach the Word of God. Like Riley said, um, one of very few moments I've had to deliver the Word of God. Um, and I think when Riley actually approached me and he had asked me to preach, he actually made it quite simple for me, you know. He said to preach to ensure that the church would miss his preaching. <laughs> so I think I can do that pretty well. Um, I was thinking, should I preach in Korean maybe? And that way people would be like, man, this guy ain't good. But um, yeah, obviously we're so blessed to have Riley and his family. Um, and it's been such a blessing to grow with this community, be a part of this community for the past year and a half now. It's been incredible. And so um, I'm excited. I'm excited to bring the word to you guys. And yeah, I hope that it really, really speaks to you. Um, as you know, this past month, we've been reading the Psalms. And what a joy it's been to do that. Now, today, we're going to continue in the Psalms, and we're going to actually look at Psalm 16, which actually explores David's petition for God to preserve him as he's convinced of who God is for him. And it's actually about David's deep confession of trust in the Lord, and he, he shows us an example of what it looks like to cling to God and to find joy. So having said that, why don't we turn to Psalm 16? I'll give you guys a bit of time to turn there. So Psalm 16, verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land... They are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out, or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let me pray. Lord, we come before you today expectant, wanting to hear from your words. And what an opportunity we get to come to know who you are through your word. 
Lord, we pray that as we come to know you and as you, by your grace, reveal yourself to us, I pray that we would find joy, immeasurable joy in you, Jesus. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as I've mentioned, Psalm 16 is about David's petition and declaration of who God is for him and why this brings him joy. So I have two simple points uh, to go through. I won't keep you guys too long in this heat and the sun. Two simple points. Point number one, knowing who God is for David now. And point number two, knowing who God is for David eternally. So we'll start with point number one, knowing who God is for David now. So as I've said, David begins with a petition for preservation, right? It says in verse one, preserve me, O God. Then from verses one through to seven, he goes on to declare who God is for him. He will explore who God is to David as a means to understand who God can also be for you and I. And we will look at this across three main attributes of God. We'll list them out. Attribute number one of God. God as his safest refuge. Attribute number two is God as his supreme treasure. And attribute number three is God as his ultimate counselor. So we'll go with the first attribute of God. God as his safest refuge. So the first exaltation of who God is to David is that he's his refuge. In other words, above all other ways of being safe, he turns to God for ultimate safety. Verse 1, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Now why is that? Why does he turn to God for safety? It's because he knows who God is for him. You know, the other day on Sunday, Rich and I were chatting um, in the foyer here, and his youngest child, Nora, was kind of like roaming around and happened to be around us. And just so happened that Rich and I were wearing like similar colored pants, slightly looked a bit better on me. <laughs> and I noticed that Nora was actually, she was slowly drawing near to me and gripping my leg, right? She was staring at all the other kids, gripping my leg, and I looked straight at Rich. He looked straight back at me, and he was smiling, trying not to laugh. Now, if you know Nora, she doesn't so easily come up to you, let alone anyone, actually. Uh, you know, it takes a bit of time to develop a level of trust, which obviously I hadn't earned back then. And so without trying to give away any hints between Rich and I, we just wanted to see, you know, how long will she hold on to me before she took notice? Now, as you would expect, Nora slowly looks away from the kids, and she looks up to Dad, and this really felt like slow motion to me, watching this. She realized, oh, hang on a sec. This ain't Dad, right? He looks way too youthful. <laughs> so immediately... Immediately, obviously, her reaction is she jolts and she runs back to dad, right? She runs back to dad for safety. Now, being the cause of a child jolting in fear in your normal state, 
It's not great. <laughs> you know, intentionally scaring someone, obviously it's fun and it's enjoyable, but, you know, scaring someone without intending to, yeah, it's a first for me. And Nora, I'm still waiting for my apology, but that's okay. <laughs> you see, feeling safe is not necessarily about a person's ability to keep you safe. Rather, in whom you know will keep you safe. You know, obviously, I would never allow any harm to come to Richie's and, and, and Rev's kids, let alone any other kid placed under my care. But unless the child knows they'll be kept safe, they will not trust you. Do you know who God is? Can you trust him? You know, David testifies that God will keep you safe. God is the ultimate refuge. Is this true for you? In verse 2, David declares his second exaltation in who God is for him. So first, we discovered God as his refuge. And second, God as his supreme treasure. He, David, looks to God as his supreme treasure over multiple declarations. Now, go through them. God as his ultimate good, God as his chosen portion, and God as his beautiful inheritance. You know, nothing else and no one else compares to who God is for him here. And we see this first, as he says in verse 2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. David's highest treasure, the ultimate good in his life, is credited to no one else but God. In other words, David doesn't only think God is good, he firmly believes God to be his only good. Now, obviously, this doesn't mean that all other goods in his life are non-existent, right? But David testifies that all other goods are only good if they give him more of God. And he declares this out of a position of being a king, right? As king over God's people, he was immensely blessed with riches, power, and dominion. Yet still, he proclaims God as his only good. Why? It's because he sees his relationship with God to be the source of all good in his life. God is the reason for his existence. The only one deserving of credit over all that is good in his life is God. Now, David continues this language of God being his treasure of all treasures. As he says in verse 5, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Here, David uses terminology that actually draws us to conclude the duties of a Levitical priest. The words portion, lot, lines, you can say boundaries, and inheritance describe the distribution of land amongst God's people. You know, in today's um, day and age, land is considered another commodity or investment for trade. You know, especially here in Sydney, which is considered the third world's most expensive city to buy in. 
and we all know this, right? That just blew my mind, the third most expensive city. Man, I'm so privileged to just realize. <laughs> third most expensive. Land itself isn't expensive, right? It's where it's located and how it's been used that gives its monetary value. However, in history, particularly in David's time, land was actually the primary means of sustaining life. Essentially, to be born into a landless class, it meant that you had no means of living. So, when David declares God to be his chosen portion and beautiful inheritance, he's confessing that God is his means to live. Not something to buy and sell, so to make an investment, as we would do in today's age with poverty, right? But as a primary means to living, God is his greatest means to live. How about for us today? Do we recognize God to be our ultimate inheritance in life? Why are we longing for something else beyond God? You know, today's age with technology makes it almost impossible to ignore what the world says will satisfy, right? Landing that job that will allow for more comfortable living, or perhaps security in buying property to invest or live in, completing an education to become recognized in the workforce, or even accumulating enough followers for a reputable platform on social media. You know, these things aren't bad in and of themselves, right? But do they take precedence over God? Or is God a temporary solution to keep us happy until something better captures our appeal? You see, David recognized God as his greatest good, his treasure of all treasures, his finest choice in life his most beautiful inheritance. This is actually something that we too can treasure. We can treasure the Lord as David did. How? Because God is the same with David as he is with us today. We too are invited to meet this God whom David declares as his ultimate treasure in life. Who God is for David here in this passage can be true for us today. This ongoing confession of God as David's supreme treasure is lastly noted as he not only considers who God is to himself, but also when he considers who God is to others. And there are two groups of people uh, he refers to here, uh, first being the godly um, and second, the ungodly. And to the godly, he expresses pure delight as they too share in God as their ultimate treasure says in verse 3, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. And then to the ungodly, he refuses to participate in their godless acts. See this in verse 4, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Here David takes delight in the saints as they share in God as their supreme treasure. So much so that it completely removes David from wanting to participate in godless ways. 
You know, his mind and his heart is so preoccupied with God that it leaves no room. It leaves no room for him to participate in the ungodly. He, John Piper, he says, uh, godless people don't give him delight in their godless ways. Only the godly do. Now, if I can relate this to something, and this is my little take on International Day, it's kind of like how you take delight in connecting over a mutual common joy, right? Take Korean barbecue, for example. <laughs> when I see someone enjoy Korean barbecue for the very first time, you can already tell I'm so excited. Oh, my soul is so delighted. <laughs> you know, they're looking at me in absolute amazement, like, what have I been missing out on, right? And I look straight back at them, and I'm like, it's good, right? <laughs> now, every time I see them, we're going to have this beautiful connection over our love for Korean barbecue. Right, Noah? Yeah. <laughs> and so whenever some ungodly person invites them to have kale salad, saying they need to go vegan... <laughs> They can say, no, I will not participate in your ungodly ways, right? No hate to the vegans, obviously, just, uh, just in what you eat. You see, David, he enters delight as he shares with the saints in seeing God as his supreme treasure. We just talked about this, right? God as his supreme treasure. I want to lastly note the third attribute of God here, which is God as his ultimate counselor. In verse 7, it says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. As David exalts God in a manner of immeasurable worth, this is who God is for me. He's my safest refuge and ultimate treasure. How incredible it is that this God would choose to counsel him. If you know me, I love to watch and play basketball. You know, although I never really grew up uh, watching the NBA as a kid, I slowly found myself come back into the sport during my days at university. And because of my desire to play, I grew a deeper appreciation over actual players in the NBA. LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Allen Iverson, Michael Jordan, the list goes on. But you never really quite understand how good a player really is until you've actually tried doing it yourself. Only to realize, wow, I'm not that great. But a player I've come to really respect after watching how they play is most definitely Kobe Bryant. You know, watching Kobe, a.k.a. the GOAT, a little bit of controversy there, or maybe people are like, goats, bah, goats, greatest of all time, that's what it means, you thank me later. It's like watching poultry in motion. You know, his love for the game and mentality to become the best was second to none. And I'll be honest, if Kobe approached me, knocked on my door with a ball in his hand, and he was looking for me, Right? Not only wanting to train me, but counsel me in his approach to the game, 
I'd be there in a heartbeat. If you knew who God is, I believe you would want to receive his counsel. You would want to receive his guidance on how to live this life. Why? It's because he created you. You exist today because of God. You know, in Psalm 139, verse 13, it says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows this very well. You know, this is why David chooses to bless the Lord who gives him counsel. David knows he has the most spectacular counselor in his life the creator and sustainer of all things and all that we know and don't even know to exist. And because he knows God to be all that he says he is, he's able to say with confidence in verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. That's some serious confidence right there, right? I shall not be shaken. David has moved from a petition for preservation in verse 1. We saw this, preserve me, O God, through to a declaration that God will preserve him. His unshakable confidence in God is rooted in who God is for him. God is his safest refuge. God is his supreme treasure. God is his ultimate counselor. And because God is right there with him, he's unshaken. Unshaken by his enemies before him. Unshaken when anxiety grips him. Unshaken when life circumstance overwhelms him. You know, as Christians, it's okay to feel guilt, anxiety, fear, or even feeling lost because we live in a fallen world. But what sets followers of God apart from this world is that we can trust in God. God is with us. We have the most incredible assurance in God alone, whom, if we said before us, would not forsake or abandon us despite life's seasons. If you've yet to meet this mighty God, He invites you now. Come. Come and find confidence in a God who is for you if you place your trust in him. So who is God for you? Is he your safest refuge? Is he your supreme treasure? Is he your ultimate counselor? If so, then the heart of David will resonate with you here, not only now, but forever. Which actually leads us to the next and last point of today's sermon. I promise you guys, it wasn't going to be long. Point number two, knowing who God is for David eternally. We just talked about who knowing who God is for David now in this passage. Now we discover who is God for David eternally. 
You know, at this point, David's exaltation of who God is for him affirms a confidence that will not be shaken, but will be preserved, right? His petition for preservation ignites an exaltation that sees God as his refuge, his treasure, and his counselor. And this is what leads him to an unshakable confidence in God. Now we come back to the question, preservation from what? Right? From the beginning in verse 1, we read, David asks for preservation. Preserve me, O God. But from what? What David tells us in verse 9 to 10, if you'd read with me there, Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. David is asking for preservation from death. The one thing that David knows has the power to take away God, or even who God is for him, is death. Sadly, death is what no human being can avoid. This life we live right now, eventually, it'll come to an end. And David knew this for himself. You know, this is why he petitions for preservation. But as he declares that God is with him, he firmly believes that God will not give him over to death. Death will not bring an end to his relationship with God. David is absolutely confident that God, who has been his refuge, who has been his treasure, who has been his ultimate counselor in life, will continue. You know, he believes that will be the case for him forever. Death will not take away all that he's known about God. Isn't that incredible, right? Death will not take away all that he's known about God. Now, this confidence, obviously, when you read it, it's highly admirable, right? You know, his confidence makes you think, you know, what incredible faith. This guy's incredible, right? But it also makes you wonder, how does he know? How does David know death will not be the end to his relationship with God? He's yet to experience this, right? He hasn't gone before death to know this. He's experienced God, obviously, as his refuge, his treasure, his counselor. But how does he so confidently say, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption? How does he know that? Well, you see, before David declares preservation from death, he actually received a promise. The prophet Nathan came to him and said in 2 Samuel 7, 12 to 13, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 
You see, David knew he would die, just like his forefathers. But he also knew that God will set one of his offspring on a throne of his own kingdom. One of David's descendants will come, and his kingdom will have no end. It will be established forever. David knew this because God revealed this to him. And today, we know him to be Jesus. David knew he would die, but he also knew a Messiah would come from his seed to establish his throne forever. He would save us from death by coming into this world to take upon himself the eternal punishment of sin that we deserved and conquer death so that we might have life forever. How incredible is that? You see, David's confidence in all that God is for him wasn't offered with an expiry date, right? But it came as a sure promise spoken to him by God for eternity. God revealed to him life beyond death so that all that David's known God to be for him will be forever. And this is why David can declare fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore in verse 11. If you'd look with me there. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand pleasures forevermore. A path was revealed to David where fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore was guaranteed because all that God is for for David, it would never come to an end. God will forever be his refuge. God will forever be his supreme treasure. God will forever be his ultimate counselor. You know, all these truths of who God is for David will forever be. That is why David is able to find joy no matter what life brings. If his life was threatened, joy. If he lost all hope, joy. If all that he owned and loved was stripped away, joy. How? Because his safest refuge his supreme treasure, his ultimate counselor, would be his forever. God would be his forever. This truth was something we've actually experienced, right? Earlier this year, did we not? Where unforeseen events had left us feeling just out of control. During our week of Thanksgiving, actually, you know, we heard so many beautiful testimonies from you, the church, where life brought us to many standpoints of feeling overwhelmed, defeated, pushed down, simply helpless. You know, some lost their careers and were confronted with unemployment. Others were impacted by COVID in isolation. 
which actually meant loneliness was a regular reality. And others were battling major health concerns, limiting their ability to live their lives or even contemplate what life would bring tomorrow. Yet, you are still able to find joy. Joy in the Lord. Being joyous obviously didn't ignore the realities of the pain and struggles felt during that time. You know, we, we heard about this last week when Joel so gently reminded us, highlighting two realities that coexist, the reality of fear and pain and the reality that God is for us, right? He said he's the sun above the clouds, even when we feel like pain and suffering is hovering over us. You carried an unshakable joy in the Lord because of who you knew God would be for you forever. Is that not true? And this allowed you to find a renewed confidence in Him. And how beautiful it is that we know this joy cannot be taken away, right? In Romans 8, 35 to 39, let me read that for you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we have been killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. How beautiful is that promise? Now, some of you may ask, I don't see God the way David does. Some of these truths of who God is can't be true for me, simply because I'm just not like David. I feel like I don't measure up, right? Or perhaps you're on the other spectrum where you don't feel like you need a refuge. Maybe you don't need a treasure. Maybe you don't need a counselor. Maybe I'm actually fine on my own. If that's the case, then yeah, finding joy in the presence of God just won't make sense because you feel God will turn you away or God just won't be someone you need right now. Can I just say, God came for people exactly like you and I. Sinners. People who either feel undeserving or completely competent in, on their own. 
But unless we set God before us as someone whom we desire and can trust, this fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore that God promises, it will just sit there, sadly, until life comes to an end. God desires joy for you. His desire is for you to know Him so that your joy may be full. That's His desire. John 15, 9-11 says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Verse 11 These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. He is the only being that can completely fill the empty void in our hearts with lasting joy. And all that he asks of us is to come. Come and abide in his love. Spend time getting to know who God truly is. God desires joy for you. Truly he does. In fact, he already desired this for you and I, even before we asked him for it. He simply calls us to come. If this is the first you've heard of this, I invite you, meet the Lord. There's no other requirement to find fullness of joy in God than to simply come, repent, and trust all that God says He will be for you and much more. And if you have received this joy in God, I pray this may refresh your soul again. This is one message that never gets old, right? It has the power to astound us every time we hear it. That God would call sinners like us to himself to know all that he is for us. And this unshakable truth lasts for eternity because of Jesus Christ who gives us every reason to be filled with the fullness of joy in his presence forevermore. Let me pray. Lord, your grace knows no bounds that you would choose to reveal much of yourself to us us who are undeserving, us who did not see you, but was found by you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, you revealed yourself to us today as your refuge, as your supreme treasure, as our ultimate counselor. And all these truths of you, Lord, you promised would be 
for us forever. It is a sure promise that you will be this for us for eternity. And you show, have shown that through Jesus Christ. So Lord, I pray that if we are hearing this for the first time, that we would come before you and trust who you say you are. May we believe these words in whom you say that you are to us. And for those that do believe, Lord, we pray that we would be reassured that this truth is something that we can hold on to for eternity. Oh, Lord, what joy this is for us. We thank you, we praise you, and we declare that you are good and that you are for us forever. In Jesus' name.